edition of the Y Hockey Who's Gonna Hire Joe Joel Quanville podcast. With I woke me, up to that. Matthew I was stunned. I was stunned by that. Yeah. I didn't think it would be this early in the season. I thought, you know. They actually and, looked okay for a while. I mean, uh, until they didn't, but. I, I he's really, not signing contracts. I mean, I'll, I'll give him that. No, he does he's not, not signing contracts. This is I think why... there's a lot that I think that there's a lot that you can lay at his feet, but I mean, given the state of coaching, after ten years, the message has to fall flat on players who are used to new coaches, new systems, new stuff like every three years, four years. Ten years is an incredibly long time for any coach. Was he the longest so... tenured coach in the NHL? I think he was. Yeah, I think Cooper's got to be up there now. Cooper's now one of the highest. I can't think of anybody that he might even be the highest in the East. Well, I'm going to look that up now because I'm curious. Would be the place to go. Uh, All right. Now that we've got start dates, yep, the longest tenured head coach in the NHL is John Cooper. Who's the second longest tenured head coach? Second longest? Second longest. You know what's going to be funny is Barry Trotz is probably up there. He's not, obviously. <laughs> I mean, at this rate, he could be getting close. Um, I'm trying to think who's been around a lot. I mean, Hextall has been at four. Hextall is the fourth longest tenured head coach in the NHL. Yeah, I mean, there's an argument right there for Flyers fans like me to, to fire Hextall, which, yeah, you know, for Joel. I mean, he, he's uh, four years going into his fifth. I mean, w- you're not going to get a better coach than Quinville. No. And it's and after four years, a race to see who so fires who, their so coach first and fires him. Who's second? Who is the second? Paul Maurice. Oh, that was, yeah. Two, I always forget about 2014. Winnipeg tucked up there. Winnipeg with their stability. Yeah, we just played them twice, too. Yes, they did. And we will get to talking about the Panthers uh, shortly, but I think we should talk about coach firings first because there are two of them. And the Stevens one, in L.A.? Yes, yeah, Stevens in L.A. And you have personal experience with that trauma because he coached the Flyers after Laviolette left, and it went, what's the word I'm looking for, badly? Actually, wasn't he before Laviolette? I get them mixed up. All the time. Uh, he was before Laviolette. Yeah, yeah, but he was, he was really He terrible. was fired the year they went, ended up going to the Cup in that 2010 run um, where they played Chicago and Quenville. And, um, the, John Stevens is like – he tops out as an assistant coach, and he's one of those guys that you like plug in in when in a vet locker room hoping it just clicks and it takes off and if it doesn't click it doesn't click and he benefited in philadelphia from coming into a team that was one of the worst in philadelphia history uh netted the jvr pick which at the time should have been the first but they lost the lottery to chicago and there's only they could only go up. It was Claude Giroux entering his prime. So to start, you know, to pick up four or five wins every year and and you know show a little growth and kind of look a little promising out the gate, you know, wasn't unusual or, or uh, unexpected. Wasn't but, he the coach of the Flyers when they made it to the conference final in 08? Yeah, 
Yeah, and and that's where you you're thinking like he had that one good year where his message, you know, but he is what he is. He doesn't really change his style. He doesn't really change his approach, um, and he's not a player's coach. Um, he's you know it's, he's one of those old school. You know, you play to the system. I'm gonna yell at you. I'm gonna bang my stick in practice. You know, was that Mike Yao who did that? <laughs> uh, or Robbie Torek who threw a bench on yeah. ice during the game. Right, you know, I mean, he he's not as loud and as vocal, but he's a, he's very stern. He's got the stare. Um, I remember when he was in Philadelphia, a lot of Flyers players felt like, you know, they could feel him in the back through their helmets when he was when he was on the bench, just staring them down when they get off the ice after shifts and that stuff like that. Like something we could see now. He's a good assistant coach. Yeah, what I'm going to mention right. because and, of that. You know, but it's you know, they LA tried it, and I think. It, it's buying Blake. It was buying Blake time to figure out other stuff in the gym role before having to worry about, well, what kind of coach am I going to hire? How am I going to handle a hiring process, et cetera, et cetera. Now, hopefully he went through kind of one with, um, you know, getting Stevens behind the bench. Um, but it, it was now when you look at that team, kind of because... automatic. I think they could, you know, maybe turn over and have some freshness because, you know, <laughs> looking at they're, that team. They're slightly old. Just yeah. Just a tiny bit old. But I yeah. think some of that is not all him. Some of that's Dean Lombardi. Like, he didn't give Jeff Carter that contract. Well, well I mean, no, well, he no, did kind of. He traded for it. his GM in Philadelphia. He, he, tra- <laughs> he traded for it. Uh, he didn't give um, that awful contract to Dustin Brown. You know, we're not talking about some of these longer-term deals, but, I mean, they were expecting, like, Taylor Pierce and Tyler Toffoli to step up. They were great ancillary pieces when they won the Cup, and they haven't stepped up. And, I mean, for, he, I he, mean, for a number of reasons. Uh, you know, cool. some of it is injuries. Some of it is, you know, the play around them hasn't been great, or they've just stepped up maybe not at the right time. There's definitely and, all of that, but I think that, you know, when I look at the Kings, I don't think as much of it was John Stevens as much as is. That's an old roster that's playing an old way of hockey that does not fly in today's NHL. And, I mean, let, let's be honest. I mean, there are some things that Blake did. I mean, he had to re-sign Drew Doughty, and he did. He had to re-sign Kopitar, and he did. I mean, Kobolchuk, it's a lot of money for somebody who's 35 years old. And last year, Dustin Brown had a historic so good far, season. I don't think Kobolchuk hasn't. I think so far it, it hasn't been a bad contract. And Kovalchuk this year has, according to my stats, 11 points in 13 games. That's not bad. That's not bad at all. I mean, you, you, you're more worried about the later year, so we'll see how it goes. But I mean, like trading for Dion Phaneuf, I mean, that got them out of under Marion Gabrick, but their average age of their forwards is 28. The average age of their defense is 28.6. And Jonathan Quick, I mean, Jonathan If they Quick. can... If they can move out a contract or two um, and not just wait until the eventual lockout compliance buyout. Thanks, Gary. Um, but if, if they can move a contract out before that, upgrade their goaltending. I mean, I, I don't know if Quick's an age thing or an injury thing or a cocktail of both. But, um, you know, a change of scenery is probably going to help. You, Just kind of like with John, with Joel Bumbo. Goaltender, would you? 
No, uh, not no, no, no. <laughs> his his contract's way too fresh into that uh that nightmarish contract. Uh, have, he would have former. It, it's basically it basically being like offering to redo the Luongo contract, but with a less talented goalie who has more cups. Speaking of, but it's like the same type of situation: goalie, bad contract, injuries, age not on your side. Et Speaking of goalies, Rene got two years and five. I know you wouldn't have done that contract, but that's not a terrible deal for the Predators. It's different if you're if he's the team if you're the team he's already on. Like yeah, for Nashville, the contract is different. But it, you know, from my perspective of well, I'm never going to be Nashville. I mean, I like them and everything, but I never put myself in their shoes very often. But I mean, from the, it, it's okay. It, it's low risk. I mean, you're going to end up eating it. But it's a loyalty contract, and you get it. Well, it's uh, it's fine for him. If but I don't think he's really, I don't know if he's really earned it, just with the health and, and his it's, ability. It's fine to, for him if, say, uh, like Soros takes over and he's kind of the quasi backup. You know what I mean? Yeah, if he's just an expensive backup, and you're paying to only have two years. But I mean, like when you look at what the Predators have in terms of goaltending money with that amazing Soros contract, they're paying next year um, six point five million for their two goalies. I mean, it's it's just insane. Right? Yeah, and that's what, you know, that's like what? You know, Reimer and Hutchison will, will get you there pretty much. So Not, not quite that, but close. Uh, so that was interesting. Another contract we want to talk about before we spend the rest of the podcast talking about Quenville and the Panthers. Yanni uh, Gord got paid 5.166. It's a lot of contracts the Lightning give out to those kinds of players that are very similar. Alex Kalorn. Yeah, I think Gord had some leverage with how well he's played recently, um, what I think his usage is. Um, but also, if you look at his age, he's, what, in his mid-20s, 25, 26? He 26. He's has no pedigree, really, if you're looking at it. Like, he can't fall back on, I was a first-round draft pick, or I was a second-round draft pick, or I put up these numbers in juniors, or I was, you know, I'm a big prospect in this organization he spent some time in the echl you know it took him a while to, to get to where he is um He's and so basically except yeah, the lightning let Marcia yeah so hopefully die. he doesn't get hopefully he doesn't get uh pegged uh to be to be that i mean they both signed similar deals but uh so would you so rather have Marcia so at his money or or gord i'd probably have Marcia so at gord. his money gord 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 oh okay yeah. just because the He's more dynamic. He does more for the team. Uh, I mean, like, Marsh shows a shit disturber. He's more of a shit disturber. Uh, he's more physical. He's more defensive. He, I think he's, I don't know if he's as naturally talented, but I, I think he, the overall product on the ice is, is m more likable to me at that money range. Well, it's the Lightning, and they're still winning a billion games because the Lightning do that. <laughs> doesn't really matter what happens. They're just going to win a billion games all the time. And John Cooper will coach to the end of time. At least it seems like at this point he's going to coach to the end of time. Now the longest tenured head coach in the NHL. Five years. Yeah, and Almost he, six, but five years. He's, it's funny because if I, he's, he's what, on the end of his second term, so to speak, like eight years. And uh, you can kind of do the Obama gray hair progression on him. Like he's starting to lose his hair, his blonde hair. It's like, you know lacrosse haircut is kind of turning all gray and wispy oh no the flow is uh, not gonna uh, flow out uh, the back of the helmet this time yeah. 
Yeah, all those all those uh, stressful playoff series and everything are starting to show their age. So he's starting to look the best team in the East. There's no doubt about that. Yeah, and he can take a lot of credit for that. He is, um, he, he is really good. But also, I mean, that, that that roster, it's it's GM and coach. Obviously, he's a great coach, but the way that roster is constructed, it's just it's brilliant. And the players. I mean, I think the players have a good um, chemistry, but they also seem to all be on the same page a lot and show up consistently enough um, to year in and year out be, you know, for the majority of the year in the top five. It helps when you've got that roster and they could just plug and play guys in the bottom six that are good and then just replace them, cycle them in and out. And they've got still an incredibly deep prospect system, though they've traded away, like, a lot of their good ones. You know, like, that, that's the crazy thing. Yeah, Florida envy. Yeah, it is definitely Florida envy. You know how much the Panthers want to be the Lightning. <laughs> Speaking of, <laughs> um, should we talk about the two games last week? We were recording this Tuesday, so we're not quite there for the Panthers playing the Oilers, but it's it's so funny how those games were diametric opposites of one another. And it's basically everything we've spent the first 11 games talking about. The first game, when Reimer started, they played probably their best five-on-five five game of the year. They were doing a lot of good things in the offensive yeah. zone. They were being creative. They had yeah. ideas. They were getting a lot of good chances. They couldn't finish them. Terrible specialty teams didn't get the save, and they lost. Right. And then the following game, they had their worst five-on-five five game of the year. They were caved in five-on-five, five, but they went three for four in the power play. Roberto Luongo returns and gives them saves, and they win. It's really funny how they probably played their worst game of the year and had their best win of the year. Well, the game before, they had the most typical Panthers 2018-19 game of the year. It's amazing what goaltending can do for you. But, I mean, when I look at that, like when you watch those two games, when we watched those two games, and you saw – the Jets didn't play as great as I thought they would play. I mean, they were pretty good on, on Friday. But still, I mean, it's like even if the Panthers, without Luongo, you see, we talked about it before, like how much differently they play without Roberto Luongo. And they played pretty well on Thursday. We were talking about it during the game. Like, this is a really solid performance by them. And then they do the specialty teams thing. They have the worst penalty kill in the league right now, and that's not surprising. Uh, the power play had four-minute double minor in the second period and could take advantage of it. And then on Friday, they go three for four. Their power play looks the best it's looked. And Luongo gives them saves. He just looked like Luongo when they won. It's amazing how different those two games look. And it summarizes the Panthers' season, I think, better than any way we could. Well, it's luck, but, you know, they showed up for two games. And it's amazing what happens when – they support the puck when they're not just making long aerial bombs to have low percentage chance of being successful. Um, when on defense, they support each other and they make switches and they do tons of small tons. Things. You know, when they when they're active in the game and when they're not thinking, they're either. Sometimes I feel like the Panthers look like they're defeated, like they already feel like they've lost or or they feel like they're already chasing the game and they just appear desperate but not in the right way. Um, or the, it's a lot of um, too much. Like the Vincent Chocek, I, I need to do it too much, and you, you kind of isolate yourself and in the game and you're not really playing with the team. And but when they play together, play together, you can notice how much better it is. 
you were just saying that like the first game was easily one of the best games of the year and it was just on the simple fact that they were playing together that, that there was puck support in all three zones that they were on the right side of the puck so in the d zone that they were standing in between the puck and the net most of the time instead of being caught you know on the other side of the the puck or or their man and when they got into trouble there was someone right there that they could make a quick pass to and that player was engaged enough to move their feet and get out of trouble and, and get the play going the other way. And when they do the little things like that, it makes their goaltending look a lot better. Um, you know, Luongo looked pretty good, but it wasn't. But, but well, by Panther standards, I, I think they made it. He was great. I thought the defense actually made it easier on him than I expected them to, just because the whole team, you know, the wingers were coming down a little lower in the zone. And they weren't flying out so quickly, and they were helping Luongo out. I don't know if you know it's because he's coming back from injury, and they they want to make sure that he's not having to deal with rebounds and stuff. But they were taking care of the puck better in the D zone. There was still too much of that. I I, it, I think it might be systematic. The the blind passes to the center high slot. Uh, um, it might be because sometimes it, it, it comes you, up. You, you the wonder... D do it. The D do it, looking on the breakout, and the wingers do it, looking on the breakout. And and you wonder if it's it's something that they're like a safety valve that usually is there, and and every once in a while it's not there, and it looks really bad, um, or or something like that. But other than that, they they looked much more supportive and communicative. Um, there was an interesting quote that I think speaks to that communication part. Um, They're talking about what Luongo brings on the ice. And a few Panthers talked about how Luongo was out there yelling and, 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 and being able to support them and, and t- give them tips on the ice where when he's not in the lineup, he can't do that. And even when he's on the bench, he can't be in the crease yelling Matheson to move the puck this way or that way, or there's a guy on him or, or, you know, wheel, wheel, wheel and, and skate the puck up ice or, or what have you. If he's in the press box or on the bench, it's just a lot harder. And that communication, I think when the team doesn't have any, someone taking charge like that and it's Luongo draws them all in and the wingers come back and they help out because Luongo's yelling for everyone to come back. And, and, you know, the center's, picking his head up and, and getting that breakout pass. Uh, and the D's making that breakout pass because Luongo's telling them that the center's open and, and cut it, cutting down low. Uh, and things like that help so much. And it's why it, it makes up for some of the lack of the coaching, which I think is, is becoming apparent that uh, some of the coachers, coaches are, you know, fish out of water to steal a, a quote. <laughs> Uh, from uh, one of my friends talking about the coaching situation. I'm sure you didn't steal that from the Ottawa Senators in an Uber. <laughs> we'll get to that in a second. I want to say, I think we talked about it last year. The Panthers just play differently when the Wongo's in the net. They feel more confident. They feel like they're able to take more risks. Well, it's it's because they're getting things that they're not getting from the other goalies. And frankly, I don't think that they get from the coaches and the systems in place. And that's guidance, that's strong leadership and, and direction on what to do in the defensive zone. He knows when to, to cover the puck, and he can use his glove hand to close on the puck and keep it. Reimer sometimes can want to freeze the play, but he everything bounces off of him. He can't get a whistle. 
Hutchinson's better at that, but he's Luongo. Luongo is by far better puck handling than all of them. He knows when to make that long pass. He knows when to come out of his net and play the puck. And it's not hesitation. It's not uh, uh, herky jerky. Should I? Should I not go? And that that causes those chaotic moments that lead to three, four minutes in the defensive zone, where guys get tired and they either get you know three or four prime goal scoring chances or they get a goal. It's calm in the defensive zone that Luongo exactly. provides. It's the save when you know, like, okay, he'll bail us out if I make a mistake here. It's it's why they needed to find another goalie who brings that. So when Luongo isn't there, they still have it. Because you can't expect Luongo to be in every minute all season. Well, and you can't you look expect at the schedule, him to, to do 40, 50 games. Because when they start yeah. playing on Thursday against the Oilers, they then go Saturday, back-to-back, and then Tuesday, Wednesday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Saturday. Like, they're playing a ton of hockey, and Longo can't play all those games. It's impossible to expect Longo to be the reason they climb out of this hole and and to pull the team together and to do, you know, like, that's just too much for him to do. The Panthers have to make a change elsewhere. And and in my mind, Bob Bugner and Jack Capuano and these goaltenders will not get this team in their current situation to the playoffs. So what are you going to do? What are you going to change? How are you going to either cover those weaknesses or change those people or assets or whatever you want to refer to them as out and and reorchestrate them? I mean, ideally... A couple of options. First option is, as we said, the first option is Montebo, but that's probably not going to happen. He's played decently down... Hey, the Thunderbirds are good. Well, good by well, they're if they were in the NHL, they'd be PDLing. Is yes, what we would. Thought. But you know what? At this point, who cares? It's better than what it's been. Right. And Borch right. was just, NHL Rookie of the Month. So as much as I wanted to say that, needs I hate a little that more decision, ice time. They got to start winding up his ice time because he's having breakout games. He's doing good and everything, but. At right now, they need to start getting him higher up the lineup. They need to start rationing him up and because he's putting up good numbers in his minutes. Now it's time to start challenging him okay. a little more, see what he can do. And, and I don't care whether they start winning or losing. The lineups are looking better. I mean, we keep I keep sending them to you. Yes, you do. Uh, yes, you do. And I keep thinking, oh, this isn't as bad as I thought it was going to be. But, I mean, like, you know, where's Thomas Shemtish? Where's Michael Downing? Are they – I don't know if they're hurt or not. Or I don't, so I don't want to, well, you know – Josh Brown you... is on season opening injury reserve. I think we mentioned that in a previous podcast, but he's on – Yeah, he's on, on some. SOIR. And, so. But, like, this Matt Mangine guy playing with Ian McCoshin is – it's tough for me, and there's some defensemen that should be getting some time in. I mean, maybe not – if they want to play this guy every couple of games or half the games even, fine. But it, they need to start rotating some of these other D they have in the lineup if they're available in um, because they have more NHL possibility and probability. Of course. But, I mean, the uh, AHL but other, you know, The AHL at this point is not a concern. There's too much going on at the NHL level, and the AHL level is doing fine enough. I mean, Powerlux having a decent enough year, uh, so I'm happy about that. Some of the guys 
that I wasn't quite sure how they were going to be, or at least for now, making good with the juiced minutes and, and opportunity they're getting to start the season. So as long as that continues, okay, that's that's great. That's one less thing that this podcast has to worry about. Yep. But I'll keep I'll keep sending uh, the lineups out and uh, we'll have somebody from the Thunderbirds on to talk about that team at some point when yeah. other things settle down with the with the big team. I want to yeah, a couple once, of things. Uh, Joel Quenville gets you know everything hired by the Panthers. Oh boy, it, it was immediate that it was mentioned right when Quenville was was fired. But here's the thing: I'm gonna quote our friend Greg Wyshynski, about all of the places where he could go. And that's basically uh-huh. every team. So I'm going to read you what he wrote. Uh, first bullet point, St. Louis Blues, where he used to coach, where Mike Yo isn't getting results with a veteran roster. Can easily see that happening, yes? Yep. Seems not the most likely, but pretty likely. The Philadelphia Flyers, where he could take over a roster on the upswing of a team that could pay him handsomely. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Comcast can will pay $8 million for a two-year contract or whatever, Joel Quenville. And how yeah. much better would that Flyers team be with, with Quenville? I mean, they need the same thing. I mean, they need the same thing as they need a, a, a firm direction. They need somebody who has credibility in the room to say, hey, this is what we need to do to get to the Stanley Cup and stuff. Nothing personal, but Haxall has less NHL experience than most of the guys in the lineup. He doesn't really know the league like those guys do. He doesn't know what it takes to win the Stanley he Cup. He also needs trades too, but Quenville is a better coach. But like, if that's the opinion of a hockey player that's been in that room, that's tired of hearing Dave Haxall say the same thing over and over again while the losses pile up, while you're getting injured, while your fans are booing you, while all that's ha- – you know what I mean? Like, They're going to want to – a different voice and they're going to want something something different and it's easier to get a new coach than 20 new players Quinville Bowl in a couple of weeks the Panthers and the Philadelphia Flyers yeah and Quinville's been there I mean he is bar none one of the best coaches since the year 2000 in the NHL and could even say that of I'm a 1990 birth year of my lifetime, he's probably top 10, top 15, maybe top 20 co- NHL coach of my lifetime. I, yeah, I can't think of many that would be better than him off the top of my head. He has his flaws. I mean, you know, every coach is probably going to have a line blender too much to my liking. I'm more of a set in, forget it guy because I... The only one that has done that is they're based on their skill set, and you know they just sit there, and I just let them go for a while. But you know, it's I, I, I think Quinville has the ability to come into the Panthers locker room or the Flyers locker room or Anaheim or any locker room, and when somebody's not playing right, when Vincent Trocheck is doing his, I'm the only person on the ice when I have the puck, or you know. I'm going to take a shot every time I step inside the blue line, no matter what, even if it doesn't hit the net. I'm going to, you know, like, Quinville would have the ability to sit him down and say, you need to be better. You need to do X, Y, and Z if you want to win a cup. And there's no reason for Trocek not to believe him, for not to, to listen to him. And you know that he's got the... Uh, history to back it up and to bench players and to 
um, you know, ride players hard and, and to push his team hard. And if what the Florida Panthers ownership said is true, that they want to build a winner, that they are about winning first, putting hockey over everything, you have to give Joel Quinville a hundred percent look. And if he's willing to come to Florida, you sign him. You sign him. And ideally, you say, Bob Bugner, we know this isn't great. We'd love to have you on as a defensive coach, and we'll fire fire Jack Capuano. And you can say as the, you know, as the defensive coach, obviously that would never happen. Bugner, Quinville, it just wouldn't happen. No. It's just unrealistic. But you say that to him to make him feel better and be like, it's not, you know, it's it's not you. It's the fact that we have a one of the best coaches available. This is if if it doesn't work out with Bugner, you're going to be hiring somebody to be who could maybe be the next Joel Quinville. Or well, the next Gerard Gallant. You have that now, and he's not going to stay around a while. Like he's not unless he wants to. But it, you know, there's going to be four or five, six teams that are going to be seriously calling him tonight tomorrow saying hey what are your plans okay so but what, what's the number are we talking what, what's your agent's number how, how can we move this forward mm-hmm. let's go over some other options because i mean yes the panthers should absolutely consider it now they have played the fewest games in the league but I and mean, it yes. can't be a money issue it can't no, be a money issue because yeah. here's the thing here's the yeah. thing you signed bob bugner to a five-year contract at what like a million dollars or something like that uh and he, the panthers are notoriously so, cheap when it comes to head coaches yes. but here's the thing if you keep if you keep hiring cheap coaches and firing them and having coaches on the books and having to keep guys on in in advisor roles or whatever just to make use of them because they're on their salary books anyway um you know why not just hire one person who's going to get the job done the first time and you're, you're probably going to end up spending the same amount of money with buyouts and hiring and firing and all the transportation of, you know, having to call a cab for somebody in Carolina. I was waiting for you to make that you joke. Know, like I was waiting for you to make that joke. But, like, if you think about it, like, turnover is expensive. I mean, these guys are businessmen, right? Like, they should know this. And, like, they, but there's an issue here if, if, if Joel Quinville is not the Florida Panthers coach – it has to be because Joel Quinville does not want to be Florida Panthers head coach. That's the only reason, reason which he wouldn't want to be. Right. Absolutely. Totally fair. He might want to go to Edmonton. He might want to go. St. Louis. He might want to. He might want to take a year or two off. He might exactly St. Louis. I mean, the Kings have an opening. I don't know whether he want to go there or not. But I mean, like you look at the Red Wings and the Oilers are probably like here. Here's the thing: if I'm if I'm the but if, if, if he's going to the Red Wings, he doesn't have to go until the end of the year. No, he does not. And if he's yeah, going he to the Oilers, go to the next... they're playing well enough right now where they can't fire McClellan. So I mean, like the thing that I see with this Quenville is it's going to take a while to shape up. Like the fact is, we've seen two coaches be fired in the month of November. Last year, we saw none fired the entirety of the season, and I think that. For him, maybe he wants to take off because he knows if he waits for a month or two, someone's going to hire him. You know someone's going to hire him. And we've seen multiple cup winners in recent years fire their coach midseason and then end up going on to win the cup anyway. So it's not as if that this is unprecedented. Whether it's the Oilers, whether it's the, the Blues, which I right now tell me I think that's probably the most likely option. 
because, I mean, boy, if he wants to spite the Blackhawks, which maybe he doesn't want to do, but how about how about Quenville I mean, versus the Blackhawks throughout the season to make the playoffs? That would be interesting. There's there's a lot that, uh, you know, there's probably a lot that happened with on the way out with, with Quinville and Chicago and everything, but I, I don't, you know, like there's a lot of talk about how Quinville could go to St. Louis and everything. I, I'm not sure he'd maybe – Go to St. Louis. He I mean, already coached there. Yeah, he already coached there, but I don't know. I mean, I here, here's my here's my thing. I think I think he is going to take some time off, but I mean, I could really see them taking Philadelphia. That's a city that's very like Chicago. Um, it's but the, the team that's most like Chicago out there. And, and and the thing with Quinville is he knows that if you go to Philadelphia, I mean it. As long as he does somewhat well, the Flyers will um, not want to play off take series care since twenty twelve. I mean, they'll take care of him. They'll pay him well. They'll take care of his family. I mean, the 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 Flyers have such a great support system and everything. Like, it's very attractive to people who have been in and out through the league, He'll and they know, and they know, right? But they, you know, Joel Quinville knows what a what a good NHL organization provides, and what a bad or you know. You know, like one that's more tight with the purse provides, and how that impacts the fan at the family level. You know, even at like what home they end up getting, and and how the kids get to school and all that stuff. Like, it's it's. Mhm. I, I here's here's the other reason why whole different level to the Flyers. Here's the other reason why Quenville want to go to the Flyers. He gets to take pictures with Gritty. Who wouldn't want to do that? <laughs> well, he'd want to be on Gritty's team. Yeah. And uh, you know, it's amazing how gritty the mustache like that. Unlikable. That's hilarious to me. Uh, anyway, uh, here's the thing with the Panthers, though, in terms of their coaching. Um, if there's anybody that's going to get fired, I think it's Capuano, because that's as I said, that's one of the bullets in Dale Talon's chamber. I know he's going to talk to Joel Quenville because he has to, and they have the connections, obviously, from Chicago. But no, but see, that's no. It can't be that attitude. It can't be he's talking to Joel Quenville because he has to. He's got to be aggressive. He's got to want this. The initiative should be go out and get Joel Quenville from the ownership. And that is how fans should treat it. It's very obvious at the moment Bob Bugner is not going to have enough to win you enough games to get to the playoffs this year. It's not happening unless they dramatically change the goalie situation. So it's how, just not how about how you got to go out and get a new coach. There's going to be no better coach than Joel Quinville. Who's going to get fired? That's going to be better. Babcock's going to get fired out of here. No way. Come on. Like, here's, like here's this my, is the best he's going to get. Who are you going to hire? You maybe, maybe get to hire Sheldon, Sh- Sheldon, who, who maybe turns into somebody, maybe turns into nothing. This is Joel Quinville. We've said no to Bilesma before because of money. Yep. We've said you know, like it. it well, we can't. We almost hired Phil Housley. That hasn't worked out entirely that well. But you know, like here, here's my question: If I'm the Panthers, what do you do if the first bullet in your chamber is firing Capuano? What do you do? Do you hire Scott Stevens? I'd do that if it was even reasonable. Uh, but I mean, John Stevens like, as an assistant coach because he'd be good as an assistant. And I think he'd be better I, with head coaching experience than Capuano. I mean. I don't know, like firing Capuano and everything. Yes, would be like a an impact and everything. But we're talking 
the dividends of hiring Coach Q first firing Capuano and replacing him. Because, like, when Coach Q comes in, he can bring his own – you can take Capuano out too. Like, it's not that hard to imagine that Joe Quenville would be like, hey, can Capuano get the boot here too? You know, like this – the dividends are ginormous. What this team needs, what Barkov needs, what this core leadership needs isn't a grinder like Troy Brower to tell them, come on, guys, we can do it, or – or I'm going to be there to, to to fight you if someone hits you from behind and and while you're laying on the ice bleeding I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna you know huff and puff and and blow his house down like it's, it's just bullshit that doesn't help they need someone to go and control the locker room to say this is the team we're going to be this is our identity this is how we're going to forecheck this is how we're going to move the puck out of the zone this is how we're going to play hockey as a team and these are the standards and if you don't meet them. There's going to be consequences because here's the problem with the team this year. They talked a big game. They were going to play young guys. They were going to do this and that. There's going to be a great start, right? They were coming out of the gates hot, and they did nothing. None of the stuff they said they were going to do, and they came out the gates flat. Well, and they well, said that they got they, there was McKenzie and Michael Haley. That's good. Okay. Okay. Yeah, but like that's again margins. You're you're you. If you keep falling flat, I mean, this is the third year in a row they fall flat and the team defense is giving up tons of shots and chances in the middle of the slot. You know, like maybe it's time to look at somebody new in the top four of the D, internally, externally. Maybe it's worth looking, getting rid of the D coach, getting rid of the head coach, getting rid of the goalie coach, getting rid of the goalies. Something's got to happen. You came out here saying that we will and we expect to make the playoffs. We ex- we will and we expect to have a good start. And it didn't happen. So what are you going to do? The LA Kings, as a cup-winning organization, they knew what to do. The Chicago Blackhawks, as a cup-winning organization, they know what to do. Mm-hmm. We'll see. Like The teams that have expectations and standards and have respect and credibility, yeah. uh, you know, someone's something's got to give something fundamental has got to give. They got to trade for a goalie. They got to get a new coach in there. They got to get it. They got to trade for a new defenseman for the top four. They got to, they got to move Trocheck to the first line, right wing. They got to sit Trocheck and get him to start playing somewhat like a number two center. They got, there's a, like, there's pow, there's real issues with this team. And a lot of it is, fixable with you know setting expectations and sticking to them and when they're not met getting in people who can do the job and not being afraid to pay the piper to get the job done because this is always not about money that's they always say that how's virtuous fourth quarter shaping up to be i got something they can invest that i got something they can invest in it's called a coach oh boy that's a, that's a marker laid down to the Panthers, and you know what's going to happen anyway. But uh, they have a chance to redeem themselves. They have three games at home. Then they have a six-game road trip. Then I think they have, like, an eight-game homestand. So after that, I mean, like – But, I mean, by... what are they – What are they have so many back-to-backs. How many games can Luongo actually impact? How many extra wins is he going to – you're already at the point where you need multiple winning streaks to get back into it. You, they have to – how are they going to pick up these wins? I, I'm curious to see what happens to, now that they're like, back at home. You have to take multiple that... steps to get these amount of wins back in the lineup. 
We'll see. I mean, I think that this team has the potential to to do something. I we saw it in in Finland against one of the best teams in the West, the Jets, where they did play pretty but, well. But like you said, the the Jets didn't play that great. They were they were fine. I think they were then, better. The Jets, the second game when the Jets actually showed up and didn't just play pond hockey, all star like. You know, just feeling it out hockey like they did in the first game. They toyed with the Panthers. They absolutely toyed with them. They and there's people commenting that. So it's like, you know, the Panthers are so far behind the eight ball. They have to start making changes to get bigger gains. Or they have to start doing a lot of changes to get small gains that add up to bigger gains. They have to do something. Because, again, they have one win in 60 minutes. This is true in 11 they're games. Now, I do, want to games. Say, I do want to say they have There's made some. There's games behind in the wild card already. Toronto's looking pretty good. Boston's looking very good. Tampa's looking very good. Montreal's looking very good. They're now competition. Carolina's looking pretty good. They're falling off right good. now. The, the Sabres know, are looking people, better. You know, like there's people who have a head – I had start that you're now already chasing people in the standings and it's hard to get catch up on people in the standings because now you're asking for other teams to do bad and for you to do good at the same time. It's it's a lot consistently enough to make up ground. We'll see by well, again by Thanksgiving we'll know where this team is and I think that but by, by Thanksgiving it might be too late. And then it's another waste of year of these great contracts giving we know. No. No, I mean, like, here's the, yeah, by Thanksgiving, you will know. How, what's it, that'll be like, what, 25% through the season? How many teams are able to make up multiple games back? They almost and, did last year. Oh, oh, yeah, with what, one of the luckiest and and best second halves in the season? You can't expect them to do it again this year, and you can't expect that to be, and then, and then what, they fall flat in the playoffs because it won't continue, and then... Womp womp. It's the big fizzle out. They don't. They need to start winning playoff series. Barkov is how old? How many years left? Twenty-three, and he's got like. Chibudo is how old? How many years left? Same with Matheson and like you know, it's time to go, kids. They're not kids anymore. I, like they're starting. They're starting to settle down and and get married and have kids and stuff. Like that's the age that these guys are starting to get to. Like, it's time to go. It's time to start racking up the playoff experience. And they can't afford to miss this year. They said it was necessary to make the playoffs. They said that they had to happen. Yeah. Let's go. Like it's Joel Quimble is available. This was not expected to happen at least until Christmas. Yeah. At least. Maybe probably since the offseason. You, you have a gift here. And all it takes is selling him on the opportunity and writing a check. That's all it takes. You have the in, you have the foot in the door with Dale Talon. Yeah. He's, if you can get Evgeny Dadunov and Joel Quinville out of Dale Talon, he retires at the end of the year with Luongo and you get a GM and a goalie, then you're looking like you, you can do something with this core and maybe win a cup. Cause that's how good you have to be to win a cup in the NHL. You this team is not going to stumble into a cup. Like, come on. Like, I just don't see it happening. There are no it accidents is, when you win the Stanley Cup. You're right. And they got to be better at, at so many different levels. And, you know, Quinville fixes a lot of issues because he's going to be able 
to know what to do in game to stop the team from crumbling in the second period. Though he's going to have, they did have their best two second periods of the the season. Right. But you know, does, does Bugner have the clout in that locker room? We don't know, but I mean, when you're faced with Bob Bugner or Joel Quenville, the answer should be easy. Yeah. It's, it's hard to imagine that not going whichever way you already think it, it's going to go. But again, will the Panthers do it? I find it highly, highly, highly doubtful that they do, though obviously they should take a look at good it. Good teams find ways to stay good, to get good, and to win games. Bad teams find ways to get bad, to stay bad, and to lose games. The it's Panthers the are with my Jaguars fans. The bad shall stay bad forever. Yeah. Until the Panthers prove otherwise. Like they keep saying this is the time. They're starting they want to win. They're serious about winning in South Florida and everything. And they're showing signs that they're they're really starting to believe it. Getting Joel Quinville would be a huge sign. Going out and doing this move would be saying, Yes, we are in the hockey business. We're in the Stanley Cup winning business. Well, at least we can say this. At least we can say this. I mean, like, seriously, like, if it didn't work out, if they fired Bob Bugner for for Quinville and it didn't work out, like, three years or two years down the line, they end up firing him and they they only win, like, maybe one playoff series or something and it fizzles out. More playoff series than they've won in 23 years. Right. right. But, like, will anybody blame them for going after a future Hall of Famer with three cups? No. Like, there's no loss. The only thing you do is maybe you, you you hurt Bob Bugner's feelings a little bit, but again, he'll be fine. He's young enough that this will be, you know, again, it's not like he's going to go into uh, an interview and say anything other than, well, you know, some they fired me for Joel Quenville. I mean, this is my first rodeo. Uh, I did pretty decent at the end of last year. You know, he's got some good numbers. He'll be fine. He'll get another assistant coaching job. And, in and again, you know, I'd try to swing it. So it's Capuano out. Bugner's the D coach. And they fire McFarlane. And Q brings in a, someone to do the offensive Kevin door. Kevin Yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's a connection there. And, and maybe the Panthers are even still paying Deneen, so, you know, it might be it's free. It's quite possible. No, you know what? It actually is probably – they're also probably playing the, – The way your Mark structure deals, it, he might, they might be paying him, like, 2% every year until, like, he dies or something. Just kind of like how the TV <laughs> deal was structured. Mm-hmm. Well, at least there's one thing we could say about the Panthers. They have not been caught on video yet in an Uber saying that Jack Capuano is terrible, which happened. Oh, but imagine what they are saying when they're coming back from Fort Lauderdale. Uh, yes. Oh, did you read that Barkoff piece, by the way, that on Sportsnet from Ryan Dixon? I did. That was great because, of course, uh, as you know, I've been in Boca a lot in my life. So the fact that Barkov was, he was also talking about how he goes to the mall and maybe gets noticed. So I'm like, Barkov goes to the Boca Mall like the rest of us do. Never felt more akin to an amazingly highly tuned athlete than I did reading that sentence. Hey, I got to be honest. The Boca Mall isn't like the rest of us. That's still pretty, pretty hoity-toity. Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you. I haven't been to the Boca Mall. It's not as flashy as you think it is. There's a smell of, um... Buick in there. I'll say that. <laughs> I, I can tell you from lots and lots of experience. 
Well, yeah, also, it's, it's like I probably know the sushi place he goes to all the time. I've probably driven by it a thousand times. Yeah, there's enough old money there, though. Uh, it's a good area, my friend. It's a very nice area, and I like it Let's there. Let's just say the taxes are probably structured really well. Uh, well, it is the state of Florida, but it's also, it's a nice area. A lot of nice old people, lots of nice old people. If they, the only reason why uh, you'd be annoyed living there is you just have to drive behind them in the left lane. But beyond that, it's pretty good. Uh, I'd always love to live in Boca, so I really uh, I don't. Tell you, any I tell you, you would have uh, an interesting experience living in Boca or living in, in Deerfield Beach. Or uh, I would assume most of the Panthers live closer to like you know live closer to Sunrise and like where the where the practice rink is. But uh, I think the practice rink's in Coral Springs. But uh, Barkov living at Boca is a, is a cool thing, and I, I I like him even more now. But can we talk about the Uber video with the Senators? Because I saw that last night as I was watching Monday Night Football and I was laughing hysterically because you know how we say when the bad stay bad, they stay bad forever? That's pretty much the Ottawa Senators. Would you rather be the Panthers or the Senators right now? I'd rather be the Panthers. Yeah. But at least I mean, we know there's hope because the Senators, I mean, literally, they got caught trashing their coach on video. Now, probably illegally, but... I must say. Well, I think Arizona is a one consent, one party consent state, so uh, oh. should be legal. I think it's legal. I mean, that's what that's what libertarians and Republicans will get you. I'm not going to touch that. I voted today. I voted today. Well, voted as well. I voted a long time ago with a even, ballot. Even even if you don't vote for red or blue, even if you just write even somebody, you write in gritty. Even if you read somebody in, if you have the ability and the to afford yourself the time and the uh, ability to vote, take advantage of it because there's a lot of people who unfortunately cannot. And uh, you know, statement votes are still still votes, and it doesn't really matter who you vote for. Just just vote. Yes. Uh, can we say about this senator's video? Uh, I want to quote some of the things. It was one of the craziest things because now it's not the biggest story of the NHL when in other years or other days it would have been the craziest story in the NHL. The, they describe it as a hiccup. Well, what's the <laughs> hiccup about it? I mean, now, let's be honest. I don't know any athletes who wouldn't criticize their coaches at some point. I think this happens in every single sport. It just happens oh, in yeah. a place where it's off the record and you don't see it. Now, as, as, as we yeah. were joking, Mike Babcock was asked about it and he was like, uh, or something to the effect of, I don't, I don't know if this happens a lot. And then most of that people were clapping back and saying, you know, it just happens off the record when you were in Detroit, it happened all the time, you know, but I mean, still for this, it's just like, wow. Could it possibly get worse for the Ottawa senators? Yes, I'm sure we'll see it. Um, I'm sure it'll be the similar, similar situation when it goes up for sale. Uh, a lot of stuff will be aired as soon as the sale goes through. Um, you well, know, the, the new owners will definitely have... Senators Mark Borowiecki, who got suspended again. Man, shit. And Matheson got two games for what, being stronger than a rookie? Jeez. Well, Brendan okay. you got two games for chicken-winging Vincent Trocek in the head. I don't see how they're – I mean, well, I guess they'd say that it's really two and a half because of the five in the game and the yeah. whatever. Um, yeah, I 
I don't see them. I mean, I feel like Matheson's was maybe a two-minute penalty at best. Well, as five. I said, we, we've talked about it before, yeah. and we said it when this happened. We said that if it was against Brandon Sutter or if it was Panthers-Coyotes, no one would have paid attention. But because it's against the Canucks, against Peterson on a Saturday night, that's why it happened. And the Canucks fan base went ape. And the NHL felt like they had to do something. Again, I thought it, the suspension was stupid. You don't need more evidence to prove that it's stupid. The Brendan Lemieux thing being what it was, was uh, at least he got suspended. I did not think he was going to get suspended. That was, that was my, well, I mean, he was, I mean, he's automatically suspended indefinitely or something until once you get a five and like a match penalty. So he he did, he did. uh, I mean, we knew people were saying like, Oh, they haven't said anything. They haven't said anything. Are they going to review? And I was like, well, it's automatically going to get reviewed. So, you know, it was you know, hoping not coming back from Finland. Yeah, I mean that's what it was, and that's fine. I'm not too worried about this one. I, I mean, well, Trocheck's healthy. That's all that I care about. Department of Player Safety is the dopes department for a reason. So I, I don't really care what they say anymore. Uh, I mean, like it, it doesn't help. The two two game punishment doesn't help Florida in any way. It doesn't. I don't see Winnipeg like, again until they make the Stanley Cup final. Da-da-da. Yeah. So I mean. They got their five in the game, in the inside the game, and that's really all I care about. And they scored on the power play three times. All right, so you know that, that's at least something. But you know that again, going back to that, that's why I'm not. You know, it was the Florida Panthers are leaving Finland, neutral to how they entered it, um, and to me, that's a missed opportunity. To me, that's they could have had more. They it, hopefully they they got lucky. It could have been a lot worse if they didn't. Uh, rush Luongo back that game early because you know I mean let's it was rushing him back when they go into the trip saying he's not playing until we get back and then he ends up playing because little shaky in, in the first game and uh, they don't feel like the other goalie is good enough to play so nope um, Bob Booger said as much so you know you know this is not like Tom Rowe saying I'm the GM and I can do what I want to Riley Smith but Bob Bugner, that was the first time I really heard him call out any specific players, and it was like the goaltenders. We need better I mean, I think, saves. I think Bob Bugner's always been pretty blunt, and I've liked that about him. I just think my issue with Bob Bugner is the way he sees hockey, the way he reacts to the hockey he sees on the ice, and, and the hockey he goes for and he wants the team to play. It's just I think that's bad hockey, categorically, and I want to do the exact opposite. Well, so, I think that the system is at least – one that you can see why he likes it because it's worked, you know, playing on the rush, high event. But then he can't, he can't get the team to play together. It, it does seem disjointed uh, a lot. It does yeah, seem so, disjointed a lot. I mean, well, it, it does like, so he's either got to get, he's got to, if he's, if he's going to put his system, if he's going to put his system that I don't like into effect, he's got to at least get the team to execute it to the best of its ability to have me buy it. If the, if the players aren't really looking like they're buying into the system or at least committing to the system, well, why should I? I mean, it, it doesn't look like it works. It looks like he gives up a lot of Home really – expo- Yeah, and, you know, it's – I think it limits offense. And I think what it do- – and I, and I know that there's going to be a certain podcast and certain people that will say I'm just saying the argument that they're, cor- they're, they're coursing the game or something. But, I mean – 
the the fact of the matter is they're taking shots from too far away in, from low percentage chances before they have zone time before they cycle before they you know get quality chances and it hurts the offense and it gets them going back on the defense too much it ha- it's why they have too much zone time in the back end it's why the neutral zones discombobulated and at best um you know a swamp of sludgy ice that they can get through at times haphazardly and usually the best way to get through it is just have one of their players skate through it and not make any headman of the puck and you know not really set up a zone entry or anything just skate straight through it yeah i mean like i don't again i don't disagree with any of what you're saying and i like we're what we're going to now call the hurricane i'm going to call it hurricanesing which is empty calorie courses which is taking shots for the sake of shots. Like, that's what the Hurricanes have become really known for. And while they're averaging, what, like 40 shots a game, and that's clearly told to them by other people. You know, like, they they might get the numbers goosed up at home, but they're just taking shots for the sake of shots, you know, just to look like their puck possession's better. Like, I'm trying to look up expected goals for percentage for the Panthers this year. According to Corsica Hockey, as I'm trying to look at it and get to it, their expected goals for is do two point expected goals for percentage. I think is what I clicked on. Yes, I did. It's forty eight point two percent, which is twenty first in the league, even though they're fourth in what score adjusted puck possession. When you see that, that tells you that they're just taking shots sometimes for the sake of taking shots, and that's not something you should do. And the Panthers, we often said this is a team that sometimes passes too much. I think that was a criticism we levied at them in the past, and that's true. But, I mean, you don't want to take shots for the sake of taking shots because if you take it wide, it takes a huge bounce off the end boards, defense gets to it, one pass, it's a breakout, and you're in trouble, right? That's not something you want to see happen. And with the Panthers, it often happens too often. So- and it's frustrating because you look at the best players on the team, Hirudo and Barkov, which, frankly, are the two best players on the team. Longo, notwithstanding, skaters. Two best skaters on the team, Hirudo, Barkov. Their strengths are cycling. That's what we did when Yager was on the Panthers. That's what when Gallant was here, they were cycle offense, and it was great. It worked. And the whole you see those zones up and down. They, they the, would the, just eat people alive for like two to three minutes. And when they were having bad times in the D zone and stuff, it was mitigated because they weren't there as much. They were able to, you know, Barkov's the top six was able to eat up most of their shift in the offensive zone, and not have to play as much in the D zone. Um, and you know, other lines got to do that as well. It, okay. Can I, can I talk quickly about some things that have happened, uh, in these games? Uh, when we did our last show, it was the first two games after they switched up the D pairings. You were worried they were going to change it. They have not changed it. Uh, they have not, thank God. So what do you think about them? Cause I think it's made the team better. Now there are it, still individual mistakes that have happened and there are still things defensively that obviously you don't like, but since they've changed the D pairings, you can notice that they've played better. Like Huge there is, improvement. There is, it is better than it was. And I think, for me, like Ekblad and Matheson, they just work better together. And you can see that pairing is just hugely better than it was. Yandel and Petrovich isn't ideal, but it's better than Yandel and Ekblad. And Uyghur and Kisilevich has been pretty solid. Not great, but not horrible as well. Uh, and I think that that is part of the reason why you could imagine them with better goaltending if it lasts playing better than they have been because defensively while they're still giving up chances it's not the same sort of chances they were giving up 
when it was Yandel and Ekblad, et cetera, et cetera. What happens when Mark Pesic's healthy? I don't know. I think he slides in uh, for Uyghur at the very start of it. But at this point, they made that adjustment and it worked. And they also put Hoffman on the top line for the first time with Dadanoff and Barkov. And what did you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, Bugner always does half right, half wrong lines. Like, you know, it, it's not bad, but it's not optimal. It, it, it can work, but, you know, it, I don't think that Hoffman... Hoffman, firstly, for having the season he's had. He's had a good season, but, I mean, like, he's also been the focal point of the entire offense to this point in the season. Well, everything's have been... Enough. Everything... No, well, I mean, everything's been about making Mike Hoffman work. So it's been he's been moving to the third line so he could drive the line and get his game back on going. And then as soon as he gets back going, he's right up to the first line because you got to stick. It's been he's got to get all the shots on the power play, you know, passes to Mike Hoffman, which is, you know, you understand. I understand that he's a volume shooter on a new team that has to get acclimated to the offense. That's fine. But. I'm not sure his his he's a good player to put with Barkov, um, and I would put him. I mean, I thought he was fine on the third line. I, I don't understand why you would move him. He was he was starting to dictate more of the play other than just from shooting. He was starting to make a lot more breakout passes. He was starting to um, not just do a couple back checks a game, but. Um, in zone start influence play on the defensive end and starting to get more involved because on that third line, he was the guy. He was the guy that was really driving the play and, and making things happen. And He was pretty good on that third line, I'd say. And, and I thought, and I kind of wanted to keep exploring that. I mean, it was working, right? And I think it will obviously see it again because Bob Uger changes right. lines every 10 seconds. But Right, and that's I'm kind of giving up on that now. But it's all right. I mean, like I said, the offense isn't the issue. You have most nights 11 guys who I believe in to be decent enough to play, you know, to get them into the playoffs this year. Yeah, I mean, and, like, and some nights you even have twelve guys, and that's that's fine enough for me at this moment. Until I mean, I'm not going to be mad because at this point I think that it's bigger to just deal with Bob Bugner until they get a new coach who's not Bob Bugner, uh, and it's at the you know, there's some room for improvement. There's some room for leeway there and, and keeping the d separate is 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 one of those but he's got to start now taking control of the team and, and starting to um you know settle down some of the the more wild aspects like he's got to put trocek in place like mm-hmm. this is it's detrimental to the team when the second line can't function because the second line center arguably the second most important spot in the forward lineup is not on the same, yeah, is not on the same page with people on his line, but more so the whole team and the coaching staff. And I, I don't know if they think it's as big of a problem as I do, but um, you're not getting the best out of Vincent Trocek, and you're limiting Jonathan Huberto, and whoever's in that third spot usually looks out of place and terrible. So good luck, Frank Vitrano, uh for the He's next. Played well though. Games. 
it might stop when he gets into this pit of death spot uh, where pucks seem to die because Vincent Trocek isn't passing that way and Jonathan Hero isn't passing that way because if he passes to that side of the ice, Trocek's going to steal it before it gets there. Um, oh, that's just how it's going. So what are so, the ideal line combinations then for you? I know we talked about this before. First but... line, ideal first line, Huberto, Barkov, Dennis Malkin. Dead serious. I think that would be a great lineup. I think you get the most out of Dennis Malkin there. You get two guys who are physical, who do a lot of the board work, who do a lot of the work uh, in the center of the ice, who can protect Malkin's size if you have that issue. But Malgan can play that cycle game with him 100%, helps out in zone entries and zone exits. Uh, he plays that same way, and he has that same touch and high hockey IQ. Uh, second line, I would put Dadanov and Bukestad with Trocek. Um, Dadanov and Bukestad work really well together, and I think, you know, that gives Trocek two good wingers he has to respect and, and kind of work into an already operating system. Um, and it's kind of up to him to pull his weight there. Uh, the th- third line, I mean, you could do a lot of stuff. I mean, ideally Henrik Bjorkstrom is, Bjorkstrom is on this third line. It's, I mean, honestly, I want to give him five or six games playing top six minutes or, or you know, top line minutes in the AHL before calling him up, but it's getting to the point where it's a little silly that he's still down there um, and he should be called up. Um, but, you know, I'm not going to fight him too much on that. I, I, I think I think a, a line of Vitrano, McCann, and Hoffman wouldn't be bad. I, 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 don't, I don't think McCann's been good enough to be on the third line still anymore. He would be my fourth line center maybe, or, you know, at worst, Vitrano's your fourth line center. Um, but you know, I'd probably have. Can't started slowly this year. That's unfortunate, because I like him. I mean, who do you got left? You got Hoffman. You got. I'd probably have Hoffman. Lamico. I would probably have Lamico as third line center. I think he's uh, at this point. He's shown he's earned it, and he would have a lot more points if um, he had some better guys on his line. He makes the right plays. He makes the right passes. Is that um, the best thing that's happened little... to the Panthers this year, Lamico becoming the fourth-line center and sticking with this roster? I mean, yeah, just because you're 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 fishing for different and new, fresh storylines, I think, you know, because... Well, he's good... also played well, so that's... Yeah, I mean, outside, outside of him, the good and the bad is what you kind of expected. So this is like a surprise new storyline, so it's, 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 it's good. Um, I would have him up there, but, you know, you have... Hoffman on the third line with him. And Lampo, uh, Hoffman, Vitano. You can put Mammon up there. I, I I really like Mammon's game and I think he's able to play at that level. And then, you know, you have Sevier, Vitrano, Brower. I mean, you can you can that's where Bob Boodner can get his line blender stuff out. Like he you have the good top six that I laid out. And then you kinda line blender, you know, the the third line left wing spot and the fourth line left wing spot. You know, you can move Sevier and Vitrano and McCann and stuff in and out of the fourth line spot. McCann can always jump back up as a left wing on the third line or third line center. You know, you can shuffle down there as you will. Because you have you know, six, seven guys that you can play. Okay. Uh, I want to talk a couple about, about specialty teams, and this is on Paul McFarland and our friend Jack Capuano. 
Uh, they have the worst penalty kill in the league right now. I think I think at this point both can be described as our friends if we're putting the ominous uh, tone on that. Our friends, yes. <laughs> uh, so what do you do to fix the power play? Has been better recently. I mean, the start of the season horrifically, and uh, it's better now. I mean, they had a good game against. There the was Jets. there was a clip by Alex Tangay on the NHL Network. Um, talking about how he could not believe that Sasha. This was, I think, during the intermission or after the first the first game in Winnipeg. How he could not believe Sasha Barkov was just standing in front of the net on the power play and not touching the puck. So that he go for the majority of the, his shift on the power play, him just scooting around in front of the crease, not touching the puck, popping out, not touching the puck. He's right. All the play is up top where. If it's a turnover, it's going back the other way. Nah, man, rush. If you know, it's it. That's the that's where they want to keep the puck. Just passing around the top of the triangle up there. That's all they want. Just do that back and forth. They got to get rid of this keep the handle obsession on the power play. They paid seven million or whatever for him or seven years, and it, he to fix the power play, and he just he hasn't yet. He's not gonna. It's just he's not the main passer on the power play because. That's Barkov, and if it wasn't Barkov, I'm sorry, Keith, it would still be Huberto. Like, it just wouldn't be him. And they need to overlook that because they have a right-hander who matches up with those lefties in Ekblad, who's one of the best goal scorers in defensemen in the NHL. No goals this year. I think he's got two assists. <laughs> why aren't they – why aren't Huberto and Barkov and all that stuff throwing – throwing it into him. You have Bukestad in front of the net. You can have Dadnov in the slot because Dadnov works that. But, like, remember that little power play thing that the Panthers used to do really well? Barkov, the Huberto. Barkov would be on the dots. Huberto would be in this uh, in the slot or vice versa. And they just do a little bumper play back and forth and then just, like, run a give-and-go and spin off of it or the other would just take a shot or drive the net. Like, they should just do these little plays and, and little changes where there's movement, where there's quick decisions and quick... Either the puck was moving quickly or they were or they were literally moving from one spot to the other quickly, which there's no movement. There's no nothing. It's just, pretty static. Why? Because Keith Yandel is a stationary defenseman. Watch him play defense. He stands around. Watch him try to pivot playing... Hockey, he's standing around pivoting. It's well, it's, the pivot he pivots after the guy's two, two, like two yeah, seconds already gone beyond him. But yeah, what about the penalty kill? Because last year the penalty kill actually had its moments, but it started out badly, and this year it started. The penalty out kill really is badly. is I think it's overuse. They're they're being overworked because you're taking too many penalties. Yeah. You're taking too many penalties. You and you're getting into taking too many penalties in a row. They're they're not coming. You know, they're not taking four penalties every game, and they're spaced out. They're taking spurts of penalties inside period like a hooking penalty and a too many men penalty at the same time right and you know that's gonna that's gonna be a recipe for disaster but then the obvious answer is goaltending you 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 for you to the be first what was which was the line i think it was the first line a power play goal in the in the thursday game <sighs> that well, was bad no, but like you know what an NHL goalie has to be better than that you know like it was yeah like it's line A. It was a power play. It was a good puck move and everything, but it got to be a little better than that. I, 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 and you saw what happened. Like they gave up the one power play goal in the Friday game, but that line A shot was insane, and no one's saving that. And then they didn't take another penalty. 
what it, what don't what don't they do? They don't do two things on their penalty kill, and and it's it's detrimental, and I don't understand why they do it. They fixed the forwards up top this year. They don't have Derek McKenzie running and diving and and star fishing all over the ice, but they they're much more contained and and they apply direct pressure in, in better situations, and and it works the same. But the two things they don't do is they don't manage the puck on the penalty kill they go for goals so instead of sometimes eating some more minutes and taking time out of the penalty kill where they're just eating it along the boards or they're passing the puck around they're going directly for a goal right off a rush they're, they're making quick plays to try to score which you want to be able to do but if you can't be doing that every penalty kill because again you're just giving up opportunities to eat 20 25 seconds off and 20, 25 seconds of in-zone time on the panel, on the power play for the opposition is a huge gift. That's, you know, four... Correct. And that's almost, you know, 125%, one-fourth of the power play. It's so you don't want to give... Power play. You could score a power play going 25 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 silly how that they, that they don't understand that you have to have different looks. You can't just be an all-out offensive penalty kill all the time. You have to be able to spin back around and pass the puck all the way back to your D, have the D not be boneheaded enough to turn it over and get the puck back down the ice and kill an additional five, six seconds. And you do that a couple of times, it adds up every penalty kill that you're staying out of your zone. The second thing that they don't do um, is with the D. Uh, They don't, the D don't correspond with each other. If one D is jumping up, the other D is not jumping back into the middle and trying to cover. Um, and instead, the other D is still jumping out. So what they do is they leave a lot of guys unattended in front of the crease. They leave a lot of guys behind them. They leave the guys disjointed because they're both able to jump and leave positions without anyone backfilling them. Mm-hmm. They have to be much more strict about that. This is the penalty kill. You need someone to be in that general vicinity. And I know you can't tie up and get yourself caught in a battle in front of the net where you can't jump out and block a shot or you can't tie up a guy on the back post or something. But you got to be able to pick up a stick. And with, and this is a little bit on the players. is They're, they're cross-checking in the back. They're not picking up sticks. It's a lot more effective to just pick up the guy's stick so he can't shoot than hoping that if he gets the puck in front of the net, you can push him down with the back of your stick on his back. True. It, and you know that's on the players, and but it's also on the coaches who are NHL level to sit the guys who do that, and to reiterate at practice and stuff. We're lifting sticks. We're getting position around them and through and under their arms and lifting sticks, and we're not just standing behind them, whacking them in the back like it's 1994. I mean, I think they can do that. They've got the players to do that, and they have been using yeah, more I mean, people on the penalty kill than they have in recent years, which is good. Yeah, if they fix those two things, it'll be fine. I mean, goaltending is it's goaltending. You need your goaltending to be the best, but you know they got to eat since their their goaltending is not its best right now. If it's not Luongo, um, you know they got to start eating minute down in the offensive zone in the neutral zone, playing more keep away instead of attack the net hockey when they have the puck, and the defense has to be more disciplined in front of the net and not just both wander away and both jump up and leave guys and pucks behind them. Absolutely. Uh, one more thing before we head out, because there's not as much left to talk about. I think we've covered everything. Do you want to hear the next great part of this Senator story? 
I've been reading Twitter. It's it's about to get worse. Here we go. Mark Stone says the team had the video before it leaked, which Marv Vorvietsky confirmed. He added that the team met to discuss how to deal with it. And it still leaked. <laughs> God. Well, yeah. Amazing how that would be the number one story in the NHL today if it wasn't that's, Blackhawks. That's when it helps. <laughs> that's when it helps having an owner who will pay like eighty thousand dollars to an Uber driver to not leak a video. Uh, right. Yeah. Right. Words. Like you know, like <laughs> how many owners would just pay to make that go away? I would There's, love to hear a story from behind seriously. the scenes in the NHL. How many fires owners have put out with the chat? Like if they, if they, if the team had the video, how easy is it to get your PR and legal team on the phone to this guy, this Uber driver, or this Uber driver's lawyer or whatever, saying, "Hey, sign this non-disclosure and stuff, and we'll give you X amount of dollars." Because there's no way this is, you know. We're also talking about how, the senators. They don't have yeah. money. Yeah, but I mean, if we're being realistic, like how many how many dollars are the centers going to lose because of this PR blunder? Versus how many dollars would it pay to make a Uber driver in Arizona satisfied? I mean, hey, getting paid fifty grand to keep the video on the down low would be more money than you're going to make driving Ubers for a year, two years, uh, three years. I mean, that's, yeah, it's just you know, penny wise, pound foolish. That's what, what the Panthers. Phrase, that's what the Panthers can't be when it comes to coaching. Yeah, and if that's the lesson we learned today, we've learned if you're in an Uber driver, no, you're probably Bob, always being filmed. Bob Bugner, nice guy. Bob Bugner maybe has room to grow as a coach, but Joel Quenville is 100% the type of coach this team needs. He's available. All it takes is money, something the team says they have plenty of and is not an issue and does not impede hockey decisions. So, you know, I... I Got to if it's gotta true, make it work. You'd like to see them. You got to make it, it work. You got to make it work with Quinville. You got to make it work with Bobrovsky. You got to make it work somehow to turn the to turn the tide. Because again, Dale Talon's on the hot seat. Bugner's on the hot seat. Right now, Trocheck's on the hot seat. There's a lot of people on the hot seat. It's can't, can't, it should can't. be because they they hyped up expectations, saying that they will do this. Uh huh. Got to deliver now. It is, it is the life of a Florida Panthers fan slash observer. Let's see where it goes from here as they play Connor McDavid, who will probably have a hat trick against them. Stay tuned when you listen to this podcast on whenever it Mark is, Friday, better. and that's happened. Mark off better. Uh, I know, I know, I know, sir, I know. But is there any final words you would like to leave our great listeners with about everything that we have spoken about today? A Mr. There's Rogers an- lesson, if you would. There was an article about Gary Bettman's legacy, um, complex legacy, uh, in The Athletic, I think, the other day. And I'll just want to leave the listeners with this. It's not complex. We're on a route to fourth lockout under Gary Bettman. The Arizona Coyotes are up for sale again. And, uh, you know, looking around at some of the other Sunbelt teams and and ownerships that he's put in, uh, he hasn't been super duper great with that so his legacy is one of not great hockey wise with all the lockouts uh and his revenue has been inflated with all the teams he's added but if you look at some of the hockey deals like the hockey tv deals 
it put a bunch of money in their pocket right away, but it signed the rights away for a long time, and they probably lost a lot of money, left a lot of money on the table that they could use right now. And it's uh, it's a shame. Oh, by the way, done, I didn't mention they, what he's done for players and for labor in in hockey. What he's done for concussions, um, and, and what he's done to uh, dissuade <laughs> dissuade uh, proper uh, concussion protocol. Oh, by and, the way, sir, I forgot to mention one thing that we don't have enough time to talk about today. There was a rumor on Hockey Night in Canada that some teams. I bet you know what teams they are want more expanded playoff formats. They want to play in game. So if this happens, welcome to Major League Soccer's postseason, everybody. I can tell you from experience, not as fun as you think it might be. You mean, like, we're on pace to have half the teams make the playoffs once the Seattle team joins the joins the fray, right? So yep. um, I can't, you don't need playoff games. I mean, playing games. You don't, you don't, you, that's enough. No, no, no. If you can't make the playoffs, then you're not good enough. The playoffs should at least be the top half. Yeah. No more. No more. True. I mean, now it's uh, it's it's at least better with 31. You're like just under half. It's it's hard to get half of 31. So I understand. It's hard to get half of 31. But you know, let's 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 be a grown up league and have you know, no participation trophies and shit like that. Uh, I'm not going to go on the participation trophies argument. Good night, everybody.